Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to the Fire in the Belly show. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Roxanne Chapu. Good afternoon, good morning to you, I should say. Good morning, good afternoon. <laughs> good evening, good night. Let's, let's just cover all the continents. Good evening, good night. <laughs> so, listen, welcome to the show, Roxanne. It's absolutely wonderful to have you on. So for the benefit of our listeners, to give everyone a bit of background. So Roxanne is a spiritual guide, energy healer, shaman, inspirational speaker and love and life coach her mission soul mission is really guiding and empowering incredible souls who are searching for further meaning and fulfillment in their lives when they're wanting to embody themselves further emotionally personally energetically and spiritually so that they can manifest the life they soulfully desire she's guided thousands of people of uh, of souls to heal love, awaken, and free their souls, which has led them to experience a profound knowingness of sense of inner peace, which naturally led them to elevate and align themselves to receive an overabundance in love, health, success, and wealth, all without holding on to all of their detrimental limiting beliefs, such as feelings of inadequacy, unworthiness, people-pleasing behavior, perfectionist tendencies, validation from others, insufficient self-care, disconnection from their emotional and their soul. In alignment with yourself, uh, with Roxanne, you are able to learn to trust yourself intuitively, instinctively. You will love yourself unconditionally. And most importantly, you will learn to trust your journey and where you're being guided. It's absolutely wonderful to have you on the show, Roxanne. Thank you so much for coming on. It's uh, it's a pleasure. So um, thank you. So first of all, tell us, who are you and where are you from? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I am from Canada. I'm living in Canada right now. And really who I am is a very deep soul and a very old soul. (laughs) And the reason, you know, kind of how I've embarked on this incredible soul and self-mastery journey is really since I was a little girl, I had this deep knowingness that I was meant to elevate the world. I knew that I was being called to serve the world. And it was just something that was kind of unshakable when I was a young girl. And I always wanted to kind of resonate with someone else. I always was looking for someone who felt like me, that felt like there was this fire burning inside of them that was just like waiting to explode. And unfortunately, I just didn't find that throughout my journey. So, you know, I think as we go through our journey and we're trying to fit in this mold and we're trying to fit into this box of who we should be, it was just kind of, I lost a little bit of that part of myself, I feel. And, you know, just going through life's trials and tribulations, I went through, you know, a crazy amount of unhealthy relationships to a very unhealthy marriage to leaving with my three beautiful children. And shortly after I had left my marriage, I experienced four near death experiences. And this is what allowed me to really start embarking on my self mastery and soul mastery journey. Just four NDs, nor near death experiences. 
not five. <laughs> uh, generally, for some people, one is life changing. I can only imagine. Four. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I needed four apparently. <laughs> well, listen, whatever whatever nudge we need from the universe to make it happen, right? So, well, tell us by starting off. I mean, what does fire in the belly mean to you? Fire in the belly means to me is that there's just something beyond what we can explain. It's almost like an incredible energy that just knows. It's like a deep knowingness that we are meant and we are intended to do something more with our life. And I think that that feeling is unshakable and it's undeniable, yet we can try and suppress it. We can try and push it down. However, it always finds its way of kind of just coming out just like fire you can't really tame the fire unless you know you have a lot of water to tame out that fire which you know not many of us do so i feel that yeah i think it's just an incredible fire within us and it's just undeniable at that point that we need to kind of prevail to who we truly are i mean is is that the ultimate is actually to become your true self essentially to step away from the things that you're not, as you say, the self-pleasing, there's, there's so many attributes that we do. Right. And we step away from that generally, typically people say around the age of five or seven, we go on this journey of trying to please everyone else until we eventually either get tired or die and then decide to either change or move on to another life. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes from our core belief system. I believe that our core belief system is built from the age of zero to six. I believe that when we come into this world, we are of such innocence. We are of such purity. We know exactly who we are, but yet the conditionings and the conformities that befall us really allow us to change our perspective of who we are and we end up molding to what we think that we should be we we stop exuding our inner child we stop you know just loving ourselves in a way that we loved ourselves when we were children like how many of us as children young children just loved ourselves you know look in the mirror and be like oh you're so beautiful you're so handsome you're so funny you know like we just felt all these incredible things about ourselves yet it was all stripped away and taken away as we kind of mature throughout this modern world Mm. Oh, wow. And, and how close are you to your true self, do you think, on this journey? Uh, like 98% there. <laughs> good. I, I think that we're always going to be growing and evolving into our highest selves and into our self and soul mastery journey. I think that our knowledge is never, you know, we'll never attain the amount of knowledge that we need in one lifetime. I think that, you know, the lifetime that we're living right now is for us to acquire knowledge and to, aid us in our self-mastery and our soul mastery journey and really just to embark and enjoy our 3d physical experience on this planet so i think that as a human being we will never know everything yet we think we know everything and i think that it's okay to not know everything and to know everything about ourselves as well but just to have a knowingness and an inner peace within ourselves is kind of the ultimate goal have you been here before oh yes (laughs) You know how many times? Do you have any clarity on that? Yeah, I know that I've I've come back to the earth over 20 times from my Akashic records. Well, how do you feel about that? Amazing. (laughs) It explains a lot. And I think it explains a lot for many others that don't realize it explains a lot. I feel like a lot of people feel like they don't belong in this world or in this timeline. I feel like a lot of people feel like they're just not, you know, conducive to where the world is right now. And I think that a lot of that comes from 
they feel that they're in the wrong lifetime, yet they're not. Nothing is done by accident. Everything is done by purpose. And I think that when we are still tied and we still have severed, you know, you know, incredible ties and energy with former lifetimes, it's really easy to feel like we don't belong somewhere that we don't fit in because it's not the exact life that we had in the previous lifetime. That makes sense. I mean, to break it down, I mean, so essentially your soul continues through all this is the continuous ribbon you but you adopt different meat suits you adopt different roles and come on to you know this physical planet and this as you say this 3d form um what's the purpose then do you think I think the purpose is to continue through our self-mastery journey and through our soul. And I'm going to say soul mastery, really, because it's all about our energy. Our energy is the most significant disposition that lies within us. We are four layer beings and, you know, we have our physical, we have our mental, we have our emotional, we have our spiritual. However, our energy and our spiritual is the strongest component of who we are as human beings. Our vessel is something that ages and dies over time. So when we think about energy and we think scientifically, or we think about organized religion, energy never dies, right? That is proven, that is factual. So if energy never dies, where do we go? And if we believe in heaven and we believe in rebirth and we believe in all these incredible things, then that means that we do come back to the earth plane. So I think that every lifetime is for us to learn something new about ourselves, to advance ourselves, throughout our journey. And I think that eventually when we get to an ascensional period where we are kind of like think about steps on a ladder through our self-mastery journey, as most people like to call it, I call it ascensional periods. When we attain a certain level, we don't come back to the earth plane and we stay within the energy realms and we help guide others. Break that down. I haven't heard of that. So essential, essential periods. Yeah. So ascensional periods really are like growth, like growth periods. When we go through like an awakening period, we go through ascension, right? We are going through the next transition. We're going another level. Mm -hmm. And how conscious, I mean, you're saying to you, you've had your own journey here. When is this sort of enlightenment slash knowingness slash, you know, you talked about the, the NDEs here. When did that start coming into play? And when did you become more conscious that actually it was more than just the physical being here? Right. Over five years ago, I think I, I've always known since I was a little girl, I've always felt energy. I was always very receptive to energy. I was always able to read energy. I was able to tell someone's entire life story by just looking at their eyes and looking at their soul. I could just, didn't matter how they tried to like, maybe have a facade on. I always saw beneath that. I always saw the energy that was kind of underlying them. And I think that, you know, going through the near-death experiences just allowed me to awaken back to my gifts and to who I was and not realizing as a child that those were in fact my gifts, that healing and that, you know, being with energy and manipulating energy and being able to guide others to heal, that those were actually my gifts. So I, I feel that it took those near-death experiences to wake me the hell up and be like, hey, like stop living for everyone else and for what you think you should be. You are not fulfilled. You are not happy and you are not living your soul's purpose. And I think that every near-death experience just brought me a little bit closer to exactly what I was intending to be. As a young girl, what was, what was your intention? What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, it's funny because I just wanted to serve the world. And I always had this vision when I was a young girl that I was, it's really funny, but I always wanted to have, like, I always, like, everyone would ask me, like, if you had a million dollars and you didn't have to work a day in your life, like, what would you be doing? And I always wanted to open up a charity for homeless children and for children that were kind of 
you know, orphaned or put into the foster system. And I wanted to be able to provide them with structure, stability and safety and love and guidance so that they can actually, you know, have in like experience their gifts and their inner abilities and actually have a chance within this, like within this world. And I remember always thinking of children in Africa because here in Canada, we were always only shown that children in Africa were in need. We were never shown that actually Canadian children or other children around the world were actually in need of this as well. So it was always African children in my mind, but really it was just children that were, you know, going through any of these struggles and that really needed that in order to flourish within themselves and have the nourishment that they need in order to progress in life. So that was always something that was really on my heart and stayed true to my heart the entire time. So during your journey, I mean, you went through college, what was your intention coming out of college or or out of school? Yeah, I went to school. I wanted to be a lawyer. (laughs) I wanted to be an advocate. I wanted to be an advocate for those that didn't have a voice. I wanted to be the voice for those that felt like they didn't have one and mainly was going to be children. So that was kind of the direction that I was heading in. And then I went into the first year of pre-law and I was like, hell no, (laughs) this is not for me. (laughs) And I realized that it wasn't, but then I needed a degree. So I ended up doing business instead and uh, I kind of followed that path yet the business degree kind of brought me along the path. Like I ended up working at a cancer center for over 13 years where I had incredible clients, incredible patients, which really allowed me to kind of understand who I was in the soulful essence of myself, that people were always gravitated towards me, that people always shared their life story with me, knowing that I wasn't their counselor or psychologist or neuropsychologist. It was just something that they kind of naturally just wanted to share. And it was just like a really beautiful experience. A lot of my clients were end of life. They were palliative. And I also had obviously a pediatric population, which was very challenging to experience knowing and having children myself. So after that, it was like, I always worked in like with people and I was always kind of, you know, that guiding force with people. And it's funny because I ended up working in the education sector after, and it was more of like the beginning stages of life, right? Where they're just starting their career. They're just starting their life. And I really felt unfulfilled because I didn't have contact with them on a daily basis. And I need energy in order for me to kind of really feel that fulfillment. So I didn't feel fulfilled in that job whatsoever. Well, I mean, that's, that's, it's almost like a vocation though. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, it's not for everyone I'd imagine, you know, cause especially palliative care or, and as you say on the pediatric side as well, that's, you know, there's a lot of emotion involved. There's a lot of energy, right. You know, and do, do you, do you tend to find yourself quite exposed to energy or are you able to deal with other people's emotions, energy, et cetera? Okay. Are you more? Yeah. I think as a human being and as an empath, as a natural empath, I think that we, it's very easy for our energy to be drained by others. I think this takes practice just like yoga and meditation. I think it's really important that we're always practicing our own strength and by severing the energy ties and realizing that their energy belongs with them and our energy belongs with us and their emotions and their hardships and their trials and tribulations belong with them and same vice versa. Right. So I think it's just when you're in this work and you're doing energy work, it's very important to not get entangled because it can be very, very draining work because you're always giving someone your energy in exchange for not so great energy at times. Mm. Uh, I mean, you mentioned energy there. Is it, is it something that, do you tend to see energy? Do you tend to see things in other people or do you feel it or do you, you know, hear it? What's, 
when you when you're sort of looking at other people what's your perception i suppose of of picking up their energy fields and what's going on right Right. i can tell right away where the disruptions and their energy is happening i can see it i can visually see it it's something that sticks out it is something a lot of the time like when they have a discomfort or a pain i know exactly kind of where that disruption is occurring and i think that you know seeing energy, but we also feel energy. We all feel energy. We all intuitively, instinctively know if we like someone, or if we like their energy, if we think it's a good presence or a not so great presence. So I think that we are all receptive to energy. It's just about opening ourselves up in order to be able to receive and allow our receptors to receive their energy for what it is. Can you explain just for people, I mean, in terms of seeing the energy, what what does that look like? Can you can you explain it in any way for people? Because I know not not everyone's going to get this, and some people see the energy, some people feel it, some people sense it, etc. So, if you can explain, that would be wonderful. Yeah, for me, for my gifts, I see brightness. So I see color schemes, I see light schemes, and not necessarily just auras, but I see energy. So I can see if someone's like how bright they are from like like the top of their chakra. So I'm sure you know what energy chakras are. So when I look at every aspect of their chakras, I can kind of see the density. So either it'll be dim, it'll be bright, it'll be medium light. And then I can be able to tell where their energy um, disruption is. Wow. And when you talk about blockages, is it through the chakras that actually you would tend to see the blockage and see what what part of their body and, and what's going on with them? Yeah, a lot of us have blockages within our chakras. A lot of us don't have all of our chakras kind of, you know, flowing the way that they should. I call them energy turbines, you know, and we're made of energy. We are energy. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where the disruption is happening within their chakras. Sometimes the disruption can be happening within the mind, can be happening within the cellular components of the body. It just depends on which kind of energy chakra has been affected. And a lot of the times when we have, you know, childhood trauma, generational trauma, anything of this nature, when we have traumatic things that we are carrying throughout our body, this can present themselves in so many different facets from mental health illness, emotional health illness, and physical illness within the body. Um, uh, it's going to be a bit of a tangent. Did, did, did the number five mean anything to you? Yes, my favorite number. <laughs> So today, for our listeners, it's the fifth of the fifth today, and I just happened to be looking down because it's like there's something weird going on here because it was twenty five twenty five when I looked at the time in the recording, and also it's here for me. It's it's fifteen. Uh, it was fifteen twenty five as well. So it's like there's a lot of fives going on. I thought, yeah, okay, that would explain. Five is my favorite number, and I'm born on five. <laughs> there we go. We we put that to rest. <laughs> Is numerology, is that something you, you tend to observe a lot or? Numerology, I definitely observe, especially angelic numbers. I believe in angelic numbers. I believe in messages, um, but I don't specialize angelic in numerology. Numbers, I, I don't know what angelic numbers are. Yeah, so like 1111s, 311s, 511s, 711s, uh, 444. Like there's so many different numbers that signify different things. 911, you know anything of that nature i love and i gravitate towards because i know <laughs> okay okay um and for you then i mean it's getting into this and you were saying you sort of sensed it was always there was it was it the, the, the was the moment of actually realization or the moment of actually deciding to do something about it was it around the same time as the ndes or what was the turning point for you to, to actually yeah. step forward 
Yeah. So when I had my daughter, uh, she was the last of my three children. It really awakened me to, it was kind of like the pivotal moment where I realized that I, what, what, what the hell was I teaching her? What was I showing her? What was I, you know, letting her, what kind of role model was I being by showing her that I should be treated this way or that I can be treated by like this way by my partner and just having her exposed to an unhealthy marriage and thinking that that's okay. And that's the love that she should seek out when, as she, you know, goes through her life's journey. So when I had my daughter, it was a really pivotal moment. And it was a year after she was born. I left my husband because I couldn't, I couldn't fathom her kind of following in my footsteps. I was ashamed. I was ashamed of the life that I was showing her and my boys and teaching my boys that you should treat women like that and just have a very unhealthy marriage and think that's love because it's not. So that was kind of like the pivotal mark for me. And then when I experienced my first near-death experience, I had went over a cliff. So we were driving and we were going skiing. And here in Canada, as you know, we get lots of snow. And it was a massive snowstorm that day. And there was over three feet of snow on the ground. And we were traveling this back road country highway that we weren't familiar with because we were going to the ski resort. And literally the snow had acted like a ramp against the guardrails because that's how much snow was on the ground. And we were on this familiar, unfamiliar highway and we were driving and all of a sudden it was like a 90 degree cut in the highway. And one side was the rock cliff and the other side was the cliff. And we were going a little bit too fast, like for the weather, but not fast for like the actual zone. And literally he, like I had allowed a family friend to drive my vehicle and we ended up going over the cliff. So we ended up going, yeah, it was a 90 foot cliff and we went 50 feet airborne and we landed on a frozen lake. And the whole time that that had happened, like my whole life had flashed before my eyes, like obviously thinking of my children and all these incredible things. But it was like at that moment where we actually didn't die. And the only thing that wasn't damaged in the crash were the driver, myself and this beautiful crystal angel that was gifted to me by one of my patients that I worked with at the cancer center. That was the only thing that wasn't damaged out of the wreck. And we literally, and our vehicle was starting to go into the lake because we landed on a frozen lake, but the impact of a, a one ton vehicle <laughs> hitting the lake, uh, you know, at that momentum, we started going in the lake a little bit. So it was just really eye opening. And when they were sweeping my vehicle out, we had literally missed a massive rock boulder by two millimeters. And if we would have landed on that, we would have been crushed on impact. And the police officer said, like, uh, he was so scared what he was going to be driving up on because so many people have died there. Like, nobody has really made it out of that kind of accident, except for a truck driver once that um, was protected by his cab. But his whole, like, the rest of his transport was, like, completely demolished. So... Yeah. So we were just really thankful and really grateful. And he couldn't understand how we didn't roll onto the lake, like repeatedly because we were already facing left when we hit the guardrail, the way that we kind of like launched off was to the left. So technically the vehicle should have completely rolled onto the lake. What did you learn from that? Oh yeah. <laughs> I started, you know, just doing that, you know, self you know, really retrospective and really just that self-assessment of what am I doing with my life? Like, am I actually fulfilled? Am I actually living my purpose? Is this is what, like, was I brought on this world to really just be an executive at a local college? Like, what was my mission? What is my fulfillment? Like, am I actually happy? And no, I wasn't, even though we all say we're happy and we're good. And 
you know, life is good, but really is life good. And are you really happy? And those were kind of like the deeper questions that I started asking myself. And at that moment, I decided no more of this. I'm going through my own self-mastery journey. And everything that I felt was a weakness was my intent to strengthen those things and to just make it my soul's mission to kind of heal love and awaken others the same that I was kind of undergoing. So that was kind of like the life and the love coaching. That's kind of where that started to come into my life. But for the shamanism and for the energy healing and the spiritual guidance, that kind of came a little bit at a later date. It was after my last near-death experience where I had hemorrhaged on uh, to death three different times within a span of six months. And literally after that pivotal moment of the last time that I had hemorrhaged, I just you know, it was so bizarre because I had this dream, this reoccurring dream for almost four months straight of this incredible indigenous woman coming to me in my dream. And she was standing in front of this ravina and there was teepees beside her. So I'm of indigenous descent. I come from an indigenous lineage. So I am Métis. So that is French and native here in Canada. And I always wanted to be connected to my, to my roots, my ancestral roots. However, we just never really spoke of my ancestry in my home because it was something that was kind of not forsaken, but it was like people were scared to speak of their ancestry just because of all the history that Canada has had with the indigenous population, residential schools and so forth. So if you didn't look indigenous, you didn't say that you were indigenous. It was kind of a hidden thing until the government was like, Hey, we want to know about all the Métis cultures. Like, you know, denounce yourself and, you know, let us know who you are. Like everyone was kind of scared to, to tell them, you know, and there was so much stigma around the indigenous population, unfortunately. But anyway, so I had this incredible dream and it was this indigenous woman who was coming to me and she had her arms extended to me, you know, in front of this ravina and she was chanting me and hymning this beautiful song. And it was so melancholy and it was so tranquil and, and like, it just like, it just felt so warm and the connection with her felt like she was like of my great grandmother, like grandmother, like it was like a maternal really connection with her. I just felt at such peace with her and almost four months straight, the same dream, reoccurring dream every night for almost four months. And I'd wake up in the morning and I'm hymning this song and my partner's like, wow, like that's a beautiful song. Like, this is what she sings to me every night. And he's like, wow. So I'm like shazamming it. I'm trying to figure out like maybe subconsciously I picked up the song and I was interpreting it into my dream and I do dream interpretation and I just, I couldn't make the connection. I couldn't, you know, click the puzzle pieces together. So I had met with an incredible elder in my community who is a shaman and I was telling him of my dream and I sang him the song and he said, she's calling you to the land. She's calling you to connect with your ancestry. She's calling you to come and heal. I'm like, come and heal, like and calling to where am I going? Like, what am I doing? He was like, you'll know, she'll come to you in vision. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, where am I going? And I was singing him the song. I said, this is what she keeps chanting to me. And he's like, oh my goodness. He's like, that song hasn't been used in healing circles for over a hundred years. He's like, my grandfather and my great-grandfather used to hymn those songs to me, but not in the exact way. Like it was almost like it was a different rendition for me. I was like, wow, like, I don't know really what to take from that. Like, it's all, this is all new to me. And he's like, it's not new to you. He's like, you've always had this. You just, you haven't realized it yet. And I said, okay. So we kind of left that conversation as such. And then I had met with an incredible spiritual guide shortly after. And I was telling her the exact same thing, the dream and like, 
I didn't tell her what that shaman had told me in my, in my tribal community. I just told her like of what had happened. And I was singing her the song as well. And she said to me, she's calling you to the land to heal the same thing that he had said. And you are meant to be a healer. You are a shaman. And I was like, I'm a shaman. Like, where, where, where do I start? Where, where am I going? Why do I know? <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> and then after that, it was like, instinctually, I kind of knew like they were right. I knew intuitively that they were right. And I mean, shamans have been around for over a hundred thousand years. It's, you know, a traditional healing modality. It's not something that's modern or new. So yeah, it was just such an incredible experience. So the last night that I had this incredible dream with her, I woke up in the morning and I told my partner, I said, listen, I'm going to the land to heal. He's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to, you know, ancient traditional healing grounds. They're indigenous healing grounds. And I know this. And I said, I I need to go and heal there. And it's pouring rain outside and I'm going into a forest by myself. And it's like black bears and wolves. It's like, you're going without protection. I'm like, I felt protected, but he's like, just bring something for my sanity kind of thing. So I was like, that's fine. And I, you know, on the way there, it was like, I was just releasing myself to the experience. I just started crying and crying and crying. It was like, I was reconnecting myself to my soul. And I'm not a crier. Like I have, you know, demonstrated so much strength that I felt with strength, you know, at the time. And I had really like, just, you know, almost held anger instead of strength and just like held, you know, the resentment and the hatred for like what had kind of transpired through my life throughout my marriage. And it was just like, I just released all of that within like that. It was a two and a half hour drive. And I was just starting to release everything. And I was starting to just really feel myself again and feel my emotions. It was almost like I was disconnected from my soul and my emotions for such a long period of time that it was like such an overpowering and incredible, but overwhelming experience. And then I get to these healing grounds and it's about a 15 to 20 minute trek within the forest. And I come upon the healing grounds and I see this incredible rock and I knew right then and there, I was like, this is where I need to heal. And I'm conducting a smudging ceremony on this rock. So a smudging ceremony for those that are not familiar is when you burn, like you burn like herbs, you burn sage, you burn, you can burn tobacco, you can burn cedar, you can burn Paul Santo. And it's used as traditional ways of like cleansing our energy, cleansing our soul and just purifying ourselves as we do a ceremony. So I'm doing this ceremony on this rock and it's pouring rain and there's trees around me, but not like there's no enclosure over the rock. And for the, I was there for over four hours and not one single drop of rain hit me the entire time that I was sitting on this rock and it was pouring freaking rain. All of a sudden I see a deer, a bunny, a chipmunk comes right beside me. Hummingbirds are like flying from tree to tree and they don't usually fly when it's pouring rain. Like they'll go when it's a light drizzle. And I was just like in such awe. I was like, I was reconnecting to my ancestry. I was like reconnecting to my lineage. I was reconnecting to who I was and the essence of my soul. And not just in this lifetime, I was just realizing myself and finding myself. And it was just such an incredible experience and a sense of inner peace and a sense of inner knowingness that I was never the same after that, never, ever the same. So I said to myself, I said, okay, I just healed myself. If I can do this for others and put this theory to the test, then I know that I'm meant to be a healer. So then I use family and friends as guinea pigs. <laughs> I was like, come on this healing journey with me. <laughs> They're like, what? I'm like, just come with me. And uh, a lot of them were open to it. And some of them were a little bit skeptical, but none of their lives were the same after that, after they went through their own healing journey. So yeah, it was just truly incredible. And then I knew for sure I was a shaman and then I was initiated into 
my community as being a shaman. So it was just a really incredible experience. Uh, for you, does it all resonate? You know, I mean, as, as this is unfolding and going forward, I mean, do, do you feel more and more connected? I mean, it just, it's, it's alignment. It makes sense when all these things come, come through to you. To, to, is that what, is that how you feel about it? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I feel in complete alignment with myself. I know that I'm living my purpose. I know that I was meant to be a healer. I know that I was meant to guide others and that burning feeling inside of me is, is not like overwhelming or overbearing as it used to be. It's almost like you found yourself like Bravo. Like that's the feeling that I feel inside. And I think that's where that inner peace comes from. I know that I still have things to do throughout my mission, my soul's mission. I know that I still need to do the charity work that I have been destined to do. However, I know that's going to happen in pieces, but I I'm aware of what I need to do where before I almost suppressed myself and kind of, you know, didn't allow it to come to the surface. It was almost in the subconscious and I had to really extract that. In terms, I mean, do you then have clarity in terms of your, your soul's mission, your soul's purpose for this particular phase or this particular um, chapter, if you like, Are, are you clear on that or is that something that's always evolving and growing? I'm very clear on that. And I think that when we find a purpose, sometimes like we find like an imminent purpose where we do passion and we love what we do and, and things like that. But there always feels like there's a little part missing or that we're not quite getting it right. And that usually means that we're not actually living to our soul's purpose. So we can live to like a heart purpose where we feel like we're fulfilled and we feel like we're happy being what we're doing, but a soul and inner peace within us is a completely different feeling. And it resonates completely different than just like our heart's purpose. That, that sort of clarity. I mean, and you talked previously, you're saying between zero and six, I mean, that, that clarity, is that the clarity we have at that age? And then we, like say, we go off and suddenly we start to, you know, change our behaviors to reflect or to, to please or displease other people accordingly. But do you think you have that between the ages of zero and six and then yeah, return to that place or, you know, that, that actually you can close the gap? Yes, I do. Because I know just from doing my work and working with thousands of people is that it always comes and it always stems and they've always had it presented to them as children. They always kind of knew a children and disregarded it as they had to go through life and thought that they should have a different life or that they should go through, you know, the modern day system opposed to their soul's system. So I think that a lot of us come in with that innocence and we have a very deep knowingness of who we are, yet that ends up being shakable as we kind of go through life. Mm. And when I work with clients, it's always about regression back to their childhood because they always kind of knew what they wanted to do or, you know, coincidences and synchronicities were aligning with them in order for them to be pushed in that direction. Or some people would do word drops, you know, like you're so intelligent. You're such a great listener. You're like, you're so good at serving others. You're so good at, you know, so forth. But you think everybody else is good at that, but really it's not. Those are your gifts. Uh, for you, what, what are your gifts? What's your, what's your superpower? Healing. <laughs> I've always caught, and it's funny because, you know, even being five or six years old, adults would come to me and like literally just feel calm within my energy, share their whole life story with me, ask me for guidance at five or six, like adults. 
So like, and they always refer to me as an old soul. So like, I know that that is kind of, I know the wisdom is there. I, I've always felt that wisdom, you know, I've always hung out with like older people because I felt like I was, a, and I would provide them with wisdom. Like it, it was just really, really funny. And they'd be like, wow, like you're just such an old soul. So I know that like my purpose here is to disseminate knowledge and to disseminate wisdom and channel that and just to be able to help others heal, guide and love, you know, love themselves enlightenedly and awaken to who they are truly meant to be on this earth. When you say healing, I mean, what, what is that? What does that cover? What's, what's involved there? Yeah. So ancient shamanic healing, a lot of it is done through trance. A lot of it is done through, a lot of us, I can show you some native drumming, rattling. It's all about percussion. That's how a lot of shamans put their clients through trance. Some of them use herbal medicines or herbal plants in order to bring their clients to trance. And if you think about NLP, neuro-linguistic programming or hypnotherapy, it's very similar, but it's all in natural progression. And it's a little bit deeper than NLP or hypnotherapy. It's not just the subconscious that we're retrieving. We are doing a soul retrieval. So a soul retrieval entails a lot of work. It's a lot of um, ceremonies that occur. And there's a lot of pre-work that happens before we undergo a ceremony. Did you have to learn about this or does it just come naturally or? It was channeled to me. Like it's something, it was, it was just knowledge that came to me. And then obviously as a shaman, I always believe in having my own guides and I have my own spiritual guides and I have my own shaman that guides me. Like I said, our journey is never over. And I, any knowledge that any, you know, shaman is willing to kind of disseminate to me, I am open to. And I have my own elders that I go to and that I seek advice from or that I seek guidance on. Um, if I, you know, if I have a question about anything, but really it just all comes to me naturally. Well, do people get you? No. <laughs> Um, I could see that. I could see really, really soulful people do like people that are kind of in the light working realm and like the very deep spiritual realm understand me like quite a bit. Um, but like everyday people, like my parents, um, you know, that aren't into like their spiritual journey, but are open to it. Even my partner's like, he's like, you lost me. <laughs> he's like, you lost me. He's like, I get it. Like it makes sense, but you lost me. Like, I don't know what, the, what that means, <laughs> but I know that I'm a very deep conversationalist. I don't like superficial conversations. So I'm always very deep. And I think that's why, you know, those around me and surround me love me for who I am is just because I'm very deep and yeah, I always have wisdom or ideas or <laughs> anything to share about like the world's perspective and just about our own journey's perspective. I mean, that's the one thing I was going to say. I mean, in a random way, do you sometimes struggle to connect with people? You know, it's like some people you connect extremely deeply and significantly with and other people, as you say, it just, it's just bounces off either they're not ready or you're not ready or whatever, for whatever reasons. Do, do you find that it's either sort of not, not quite love or hate, but it, it's sort of deep connection, no connection. Is, is it as extreme as that? No, I connect with everyone. I believe that we are divine beings and we are divine creatures. And I have love for every single human being on this earth, regardless if they have love for me in return. I think us as humanity, we are meant to love and serve one another. So 
I don't discredit someone because they don't have the same knowledge as I do. I just look at that as an opportunity in order to be able to share my knowledge and to be able to provide them with a different perspective than what they've initially kind of been privy to. And I think that a lot of that comes with those that I really connect with, which I call like my star sisters or my soul sisters are really those that have kind of lived similar lifetimes as I have and are in similar fields of work that I am. But even a lot of like my soul sisters and my star sisters, a lot of them feel that they're like, wow, like, like I'm a little bit ahead in the sense of like how I think, cause I'm a very, I'm like a universal thinker opposed to just like a community thinker or world thinker. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's, it's, it's always fascinating at how people do connect. And for you, I mean, what, where would we find you then in your flow state or how would you get the most significant connection? Is it, is it, does it need to be a focus concentrated, you know, spending time with somebody or what's, what's the ultimate sort of, is there a best method? I intuitively know as soon as I meet someone, the energetic connection that I have with them, I know that if it's deep, I know if I've lived lifetimes with them before, I I can feel it all. I can know it all. And for the longest time, I would never tell people like, Hey, like, I know we are going to be like star sisters, or we're going to be like really apart and integrated in each other's lives. Cause I know like a lot of people be like, how do you know that? <laughs> like, that's weird. But then as the relationship develops and they kind of become deeper within their journey then I'll kind of share that with them they're like oh I know (laughs) you know it's just like that succinct feeling and I think that energetically we know instinctually like kind of what we were talking about earlier how we care for someone or how we like for someone right and I think that connection is everything we can like a tons of you know the whole world we can love the whole world but we will only have connection and develop connection with a certain amount of people and certain people that really resonate true to us where we can actually fully be ourselves and to be able to also receive knowledge and to learn from them as well right because i think that comes with any great connection is that we're always learning from each other and not just you know one one is always giving or one is always receiving you know it's about like a give and take kind of beautiful connection a synergetic connection and do you find your is there a certain time or phase or age or person that you're particularly connected to or reason or something they're going through do you think no i know as soon as i meet them on my path i know if it's like an instant connection if it's if it's something that i felt before it'll feel familiar to me and i think a lot of us have that sense that a lot of us are receptive to that that you know for those that feel like they found the one or they feel like they found their soulmate, a lot of it, you know, comes to, they felt like they were home. They felt like they knew this person before because yes, of course they have known that person before, right? That's the essence of a soulmate. So I think that when we think of that, we also have soulmate friends, we have soulmate business partners, we have soulmates in so many different other realms. And I think we know instinctually when we have that connection with someone. Does this, I mean, and I don't want to bring your kids into this. I'm just curious, is there certain things have passed on to them or is there certain awarenesses from them? Yeah, like I, like as a parent, like how I parent them. Yeah, or actually in, in, in themselves, is there an awareness? Is there a, a knowingness yeah. you've seen within them? Yeah, my my daughter is very, very powerful. She's a very, very powerful soul. <laughs> um, and a little bit of a reckon to be, you know, <laughs> a little force to be reckoned with. 
Um, however, I always, you know, the conversations I have with my children are very soulful, very awakened conversations. I don't bullshit my children. I don't, you know, sugarcoat anything in the sense of who they are as, you know, their own individual. And if my children want to serve the world and volunteer the rest of their lives, and that is what they're being called to do, then I will honor that. And I will make sure that I can help facilitate that in any way possible. So I think it's about just giving our children space in order to discover who they truly are and not place all these conditions and conformities and that they have to do this and they have to do that. And, you know, like they have to get this grade or they have to get that grade. They have to know what they want to do after high school. Like it's just stop putting the pressure, stop applying the pressure and allow them to develop to who they actually truly need to be. And that is the, you know, the style of parenting that I use. I don't, control. And I don't believe that parents should control their parents' journey. Those souls were born into this world in order to have their own journey and it's order, like it's in order for them to be able to master their soul and master their self-mastery journey. It's important that we give them the space to be able to do that. Our job is to guide them, to provide them support, love, and guidance, and allow them to understand right from wrong. And then they can make their decisions based on who they want to be for the world and show up for the world is up to them. I mean, is it that would that almost be common to clients as well as actually giving them the permissions to be not, not the permissions, I suppose it's not, it's, it's facilitating the acceptance that it's okay to be that as opposed to, you know, eat your greens, be a good boy, good, be a good girl and follow the, follow the herd if you like. Yeah. And you know, great point to that. And I just, you know, worked with over a dozen clients just recently and similar thing in every single one of them. And it was that I was giving them permission to be a child, to experience their inner child. And they like, they, they even vocalized, like I needed that permission. Like I needed you to give me permission to be in my inner child. I was like, no, you need your own permission. You need to provide yourself the own permission. I'm just telling you it's okay. It's okay to let go and it's okay to be who you authentically are. Like if you want to sing and dance in the grocery aisle, go for it. If you want to play with chalk, go for it. <laughs> if you want to paint your body and make a mess, go for it, right? Like you don't have to be an adult. Like you don't have to be what the adult conception is. Just be a free spirit and allow your spirit to prevail. And I think a lot of us, we, we contain ourselves and we put parts of ourselves into our shadow. And when I talk about shadow, we are, you know, we are yin and yang. We have, we have feminine energy. We have masculine energy within every single human being. And that presents itself as light energy. We also have light energy and dark energy. And when we are suppressing parts of ourselves and we allow those things to go to our subconscious or go into our shadow, as I like to say, you know, similar to what you said, like be a good girl or be a good boy. Like how many of us were taught boys don't cry, boys don't cry. Like don't cry, you know, suppress your emotions, but show anger later on in life because you're so suppressed that you don't know how to channel your emotions. Now, even though you're a human being and you're supposed to experience all these 27 different emotions, yet you have to suppress that because society says boys don't cry, you know, or girls don't like, don't be rude, be nice, be good girl, be nice. Like all these things that we are taught and every parent in every household the majority have said this within their households because this is what we were conditioned to do. How did we all come up with the same analogies? How did we come up with all the same mentality around parenting, right? Money doesn't grow on trees, this and that. Like there's so many things that we allowed, you know, ourselves to live by that really aren't the essence of who we are. So we suppress all these parts of ourselves. You're really smart, 
but you're, you're geeky. So then you hide your intelligence to the world. You hide those incredible aspects of yourself. You're really joking. You're really funny, but you're told like, okay, it's too much. Like, you know, you're annoying. Well, then you hide that part of yourself. And really all these things are incredible gifts that you're given. And we are meant to show the world, all of ourselves, not just the portion that we want the world to see, because we were told that that was accepted. <laughs> you know that's what there's something you're very you're obviously very passionate about which is beautiful mm-hmm. why why is this why does it mean so much to you because i think that we need to think for ourselves i think we need to feel for ourselves and i think that we need to live for ourselves and not for everybody else and not for what we think we should be mm-hmm. and this starts at a young age and this is why a lot of my focus around the charity is going to be about developing their inner gifts and inner abilities because it's such a disservice when we hide our gifts from the world because we don't think we're worthy or we don't think we're enough or we're too much when we're just perfect enough. Hmm. I, uh, it's completely unstatistical, but I mean, how many people or how, you know, how many people actually get to experience their knowingness, you know, actually get to go through life, experience their knowingness and how many people does it just, it never comes to light for them, do you think? I think that it's a like an 80-20 at this point, but I think that it's going to shift dramatically. I think as the new world comes in, if you've read books and you've read research that, you know, all these incredible things are going to be coming to the earth plane, I think that that is going to dramatically shift. I think that sometimes this lifetime is not meant for us to be in alignment is what others would feel like. But I call, you know, I don't believe in that. I think that's BS. I think that we are all meant to be living to our purpose. We just maybe weren't given the time and the opportunity in order to. And this is why it's part of my soul's mission is to heal, love and awaken others and get the messaging out there to start awakening others to actually the purity of who they are opposed to living the life that they truly don't desire. So right now I do think it's in about an 80, 20 percentile. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it's, it's quite, it's, it's, uh, I find it sad anyway, that's, you know, so many people don't have that realization awakening, right? Yeah. You know, that, that breaks my heart because I know so many people have so many incredible things to offer the world yet we're stuck in this rat race where we feel like, you know, we can, and by the time we're done this rat race, we're so drained and our energy is so depleted that we don't want to serve humanity and we don't want to serve the world. But that is our intention of human beings is to serve the world and to love one another and to have inner peace within ourselves. Yeah. That, that in itself is a powerful purpose, isn't it? You know, it's just to, just to be, and and just to be present. It's, um, I suppose it's a common thing for me. It's, you know, and, and even saying to people, a defining question for a lot of people and ask you the same thing is, I mean, do you like yourself and do you love yourself? Yeah. And a lot of people will say no, <laughs> if they're honest with themselves, because if you loved yourself, you would never put yourself in a rel- when you truly love yourself. Right. And I feel like I lost this part of myself as going through my journey. I lost my self-worth. I didn't think that I was valued. I didn't think that I was worthy of good love. I didn't think I was worthy of a good life. I didn't, I had all these own conditions that I had placed on myself and others had placed upon me. So I feel that when we are going through such an incredible journey is that exactly what you said, like just release it. And do you love yourself? And if you're in an unhealthy marriage or an unfulfilling job, or you're doing things that really 
you should not be doing and are not in alignment with you and are draining of your energy, then you can't love yourself enough to take care of yourself at a soul level. And that's that, I mean, is that the most powerful connection that you can have yourself is to understand yourself at the soul level is, is that knowingness for you? Yeah, that to me is the most powerful thing that we can gift ourselves. And I think that when we experience unconditional love, just like we feel unconditional love for our children, we don't, many of us do not feel unconditional love for ourselves. We, we judge ourselves. We have so much negative self-talk. We hate ourselves for most of the days. Like there's so many things that are toxic that are in us that we really don't allow that love to kind of prevail to itself. So when we can have that unshakable, unconditional love for ourselves, that is the ultimate goal because that is what brings inner peace, which doesn't waver. It doesn't waver if we go through life trials and tribulations, it doesn't waver if we make a mistake throughout our life, you know, it doesn't waver if we, you know, want to do something extravagant and think that we can't yet we keep wanting to pursue it. Like it's just unconditional love to know that we are capable of anything and that our mind is the limit. When that is so powerful in itself, isn't it? I mean, how do people go about getting to that stage? So if someone's listening to this and they're saying, listen, I kind of get some of what you're talking about. Maybe in the twenty, <laughs> some of it's touching the edge, some of it's piquing your curiosity and some of it sort of kind of would make sense. Right. I mean, what are, what are valuable things that we should either be asking or doing or, or really listening to? And this is, I feel is one of the biggest things that we can do for ourselves <clears throat> is having self-awareness and self-awareness comes with asking questions. Is this marriage fulfilling? Is this relationship fulfilling? Is my job fulfilling? Why am I doing this? Why, why, why? And keep digging, right? It's not the superficial why, like, oh, I'm doing this because it earns money and I'm going to have a house. No, why are you doing it, right? Like, why do you think you need to do this? Because you feel like you need to do this, right? It's not because you want to do this. So I think it's just about questioning and always wondering why and questioning why in regards to all of our life and everything that you were taught, all your limiting beliefs, all your core belief system is why are they there? And what is the fear in order for us to prevail to who we truly are? And that starts with self-assessment and self-reflection. And that, I suppose, just just the why aspect of it. I mean, you know, being childlike, right? You know, why, why, why? But yeah. that that question, yeah, just it's 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 sort of it's yeah. Well, why do I believe money grows on trees? Like, why do I believe this? Why do I believe that? Question it, drill it, right, and find the root of it so that you can get rid of it. Because if it doesn't feel in alignment and it actually doesn't feel true, then it probably isn't. And if you've always wondered why you always said that, but you never really felt like that was true, or you always felt off when you said like a saying, or you told yourself something within your own mindset, like question those things, because those things are telling you something that's not right. It's like, ding, 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 like set the alarms, right? What are you capable of? What am I capable of? Mm. In what sense? Whichever sense it makes sense to you. Loving everyone, <laughs> um, loving everyone. And I think that all of us have also, you know, like I said, we all have light and dark energy. I think that any of us can be pushed into our dark energy. So I think as human beings and as incredible souls that we are capable of anything. And I think the world has already shown that. And I think that what I am most capable of is to love others and to really 
awaken others and to be that light for others and just to shed love and light throughout the entire world, no matter, you know, the trials and tribulations that I've endured and no matter the hardships that I've had to face throughout my life is to provide love and light for others. Did those hardships happen for you or to you? For me. I take accountability for all of my journey and it was for me. And, you know, just like we were speaking of, like the universe, the universe will orchestrate things in order for us to awaken to who we truly are. I fully wholeheartedly believe that I needed all those near-death experiences. I needed the unhealthy marriage. I needed the unhealthy relationships. And I needed to delve into my soul and self-mastery work in order to be who I am and where I am today. It's a bit of a difficult conversation, but, uh, you know, I really appreciate your input in terms of you're going back and you're talking about the pediatric side, you know, and for some, you know, unfortunately it's, you know, they, they, they pass on at a very young age, you know, it's, it's, it's a very challenging thing. And what, what's your take on that? If I can ask, please. Honestly, in working with pediatric population and I've worked with the adult population as well and seeing end of life for both. I'm going to tell you right now that children have a maturity and a wisdom that befalls them more than an adult does at end of life. And it's almost like they are giving wisdom to everyone that surrounds them. And it's almost like, well, we know that they've lived countless lifetimes before. And it's like, they're like, I'm going to be okay. Like, it's like, they're reassuring their parents. They're reassuring those that love them, that they're going to be okay. Cause they know, because they're still connected, right? We're adults. We're so disconnected from ourselves that we fear the unknown. We're, we're fearsome that, you know, we're not going to ever see our loved ones again, or we're not going to come back to the earth plane. So it's such a different experience. And it's such a humbling experience to witness and obviously it brings tears to your eyes. Nobody wants to see children leave this world ever on any dynamic. Nobody wants, our children are our future. So, you know, as much as it's emotional, it, it's also so beautiful to see how, who they are and like how much poise they have and how stoic they are going through such an incredible journey. It is massive. And, and that's funny. There's some reading I've been doing recently and, you know, um, you know, and that can be anything from almost the day of conception right through to, you know, whenever, you know, for some people, for them to, to complete their journey, it's going to take them, you know, 95, you know, uh, years. Some years, right. But yeah. for other people, it might be two days after conception. It literally, you know, every, every soul has a different journey, but I appreciate, you know, people who are here may take it personally or, or whatever. And it's, it's seeing it in different forms, right? Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining yeah, myself. Well. It does make sense. And I just don't view death the same as most. I don't view death as a negative thing or as bad thing. Yes. It's hard to understand that that person physically won't be on this earth plane anymore. However, I know that their energy envelops me throughout the next realms. I know that these people will never leave and that we will be reunited in this lifetime, another lifetime throughout their energy. So I don't, I don't visit death in the same way. I celebrate their life, their physical life that they had on this earth. And I continue to celebrate their beautiful energy and their life that they're having in the afterlife until they're ready to resurface to earth. Should they, should they be coming back to earth? Do you, is there certain people you are called to? I mean, does and just I suppose what I'm thinking of there was a series and I can't remember the name of it, but there was a chap on on Netflix 
Um, I don't know if the same, it's, you see the same series there, but actually he sort of, um, he basically is able to connect to people from past lives. That's, that's part of almost the mediumship, you know, does it, mediumship. Does, does that sit with you in terms of mediumship and, and also, you know, how do you become aware that certain people you need to connect to, or do you just, just assume that they will naturally come into your life for the right reason and they will go whenever the right reasons too? Right. I just allow organic connections to happen. I know that whoever is intended to be on my path, it will be on my path. Whoever I am meant to have an impact on will be on my path. And whoever is meant to have an impact on me will be on my path. And I think that working with any client is that they're, they're, I am learning from them just as they are learning from me. And I take great value in that. And I take great honor in that. And I think that when we are encountering others is it's really easy to want to work with everyone, right? You want to help everyone because we are empathic and we are light workers and we're trying to put so much good into the world. So for me, it's just, it's not based on anything of where they are. It's just, do they feel connected with their soul or do they feel a disconnection from their soul? And those are the people that I need to work with because I want them to have that connection to who they are. Mm. It's yeah. It's so it is so powerful really. It's, you know, how are, are people always ready to hear sometimes or do you have to, you know, it's yeah. better like when people don't necessarily get to you, you have to kind of change your language or change the approach to, to sort of hit your audience as opposed to going, I'll just give you both barrels. Here it is raw and ready. But you know, how often do you have to sort of change it up or else people just won't hear you or you scare them off? Yeah, I, you know, I think when someone's not ready to hear you, that's fine. I believe everything happens within divine timing, you know, divine beings for divine timing. I believe in that wholeheartedly. When we're ready to hear the message, we will, in fact, hear the message. I think that for me, you know, with my social media and my website, I really try and put it into more layman's terms and kind of just explain to them what shamanism is, what energy healing is, and just have like a FAQ section and all my videos that I put onto my content. It's just explaining how we heal energy and what our connection to ourselves means in kind of, you know, smaller language so that they can fully, because I know that I'm a very universal speaker. I know that I'm channeling. So I really try and kind of hone that in a little bit so that it can resonate with others and that it can hit others. But then in the same sense, I do use, my terminology as well, because I still am trying to affect those that are kind of, you know, coming to the level of where we are so that they can understand what they can learn from as well, because they may be beyond that language, if that makes sense. Mm. No, it does. I suppose it's, it's understanding. And for you, how how much of, how much of your journey for you is, is guided and how much do you steer it? Cause I mean, you know, we still have, well, most of us still have, you know, um, people around us, we have mortgages, we have jobs or life or income. And, you know, so is it a bit of a strain to try and sort of almost follow two paths, the physical path, if you like, and the spiritual path as well, or, or does that sort of fall naturally for you? Yeah. I used to have a lot of turmoil with that. You know, I think that, um, 
just, you know, working as an executive that obviously wasn't in alignment with me. I was doing that to be able to sustain and put a roof over my head and to feed my children. And I think that we all have to do that at some sense and to some degree, but doesn't mean that we can't, doesn't mean we have to negate our passion. Doesn't mean that we can't do our passion work and our soul's work on the side of that. And I think that it's kind of like you're building an empire of like your passion as you're transitioning, because unfortunately you can't live this life without money. And that's just the way that it's built. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, ignorant to that. I think that that's very cognizant that we need money in order to sustain ourselves throughout this life. And I think that that's, you know, most people do that. However, I also think that, you know, the laws of the universe where I believe in myself being guided. And I also believe in manifestation. So I do believe in creating my own reality. I do believe creating my own life, but I do also just allow my spirit guides and everyone else to be able to guide me that is meant to guide me throughout my journey because I believe everything happens for a purpose and everything happens for a reason. And when we think about the laws of attraction and we think about the the universal laws, because there's not just the law of attraction. And this is where there's a huge misconception happening in the world is that you say you want something and you think you're going to get it, but I'll tell you right now, you will not. And being certified in the law of attraction, there's 12 universal laws that go in conjunction with the law of attraction. There has to be a law of correspondence, a law of action, a law of gender, a law of vibration. There's so many different laws that come into play with the law of attraction. So when we are trying to manifest things throughout our life, which, you know, can be guided through a lot of it has to happen without creating that resistance. You say you want a million dollars, but in the back of your mind, you're like, I can never achieve a million dollars. I will never have financial freedom. I can't see how that's going to show up. I don't, I don't deserve that. How will that come to me? So we create all this resistance within our life, yet we're saying to the universe that we want this life and that this is, you know, the soul path that we want to go under, but yet we create all this resistance and we don't do the other guiding principles that go into the law of attraction. So I think Partial is guidance is just by being guided where I'm being guided toward. And a lot of it is creating my reality and manifesting what I truly desire for my life and having that reciprocity and learning how to receive reciprocity. You were saying this is something you try, you, you actually studied the, 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 yeah. the law of attraction. Yeah. Yeah. For seven months I studied <laughs> just, you know, every certification I have, you know, obviously it took time to, to go through. And I think it was important for me to be able to, you know, help and guide others in all facets of their life and not just at the soulful level, but at all four layers of their being, the mental, the physical, the emotional and the, and the energetic. Wow. What's, what's ahead for you? Do you know? Ahead for me? <laughs> well, I can feel it throughout my entire body. I know that I am going to be highly successful throughout this life. It's already showing and presenting itself to me. And success to me is not financially, just financially, even though my mindset around finances is very healthy. I think that in love and family, this is in health is where I am going to be very, very successful and within my business because I know I'm able to impact change and to heal others. And then eventually, obviously, my vision is to open that charity, which I'm already in collaboration with a charity in the U.S. to kind of start manifesting that as well. So everything just kind of happened naturally and I allowed it to organically happen and it's already on its way. <laughs> it's an escrow. <laughs> Ask, believe, do receive. Sort of the... Um... It's the Bible. But you, really, you have to really believe, you know, like a lot of us say we do, but do we when we're, you know, we think 
when we start questioning how it's going to show up or why it's going to show up or anything of that nature, do we deserve that? It removes all that. And when we create resistance within the laws of the universe, law of vibration, we end up receiving resistance in return. And it doesn't show up the way that we anticipated or wanted it to, or it just doesn't show up at all. And it shows up as opposite or polar, right? Polar opposites. Mm. No, it, it, it is fascinating, isn't it, really? That, you know, and those, those, I mean, it does come down to that really ask, believe, do, receive. And as you say, asking the right question, not for the next door neighbor, not for your partner not for anyone asking it for you second thing is believing it not sort of going oh hoping wishing maybe but sort of going i'll ask but i probably won't get it yeah i choose right i choose statements not i will not i want i choose i choose i choose do you future visualize or do you do you visualize at all or um, you know has your imagination what's yeah and i think that's part of the laws of attraction right the the 12 universal laws is to be able to have that foresight and to be able to have that kind of you know i guess you can say clairvoyance and understanding that that will be coming to you and visioning it and feeling it and knowing that it's coming to you and just believing that it's coming to you it doesn't matter the timeline when it comes to you but it is on its way to you mm. you know very powerful you have just launched your own podcast. Yeah, it's my own show, Cardi. <laughs> like it, like it, yeah. Quick learner. I like it, yeah. So give us an introduction. What's it all about? Soul to soul, have I, have I got that correct? You you have that correct. Woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, so it, my podcast is Soul to Soul with Roxanne. It's all about our own self and soul mastery journey. I will have inquisite and exquisite guest speakers that are really vetted throughout um, the podcasting journey and show journey <laughs> um, that will really help us advance within our self and soul mastery journey. If you're at the beginning stages, commencing stages or intermediate or at the advanced stages of your journey, you will will have something to learn. I know I feel like this podcast is going to be a tell all and we are going to talk about every single topic that comes, you know, to conversation. It's just going to be very very deep conversations, profound conversations and just allowing us to cry and laugh and to just learn. How you know, you talked about it's sort of almost a new world and there's a new, you know, almost a a change. I mean, do you do you think there's a shift in people you meet, or because I sometimes get confused because I, I talk to so many amazing guests like yourself, and you know, you sort of going, "Oh, the world's changing," and then you go and talk to the next door neighbor, and you're like, "Oh God, the world's not changing." <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you how do you test like, with your bubble? <laughs> the world changes in increments, right? It's not going to be an overnight change, and so. <laughs> Just think about our own journey, right? It happens in steps. And as we others awaken and realize kind of what's transpiring throughout the world, I think that there's a huge war right now with light energy and dark energy that is overcasting the world. I think the light energy will definitely prevail. I think that this is what is going to allow others to awaken. I think there's so many people that are more awakened than they were 10 years ago. If we think about our youth that are kind of growing now and the generations that are coming to the forefront now, they are being raised by awakened parents. They are being raised to actually follow their purpose opposed to just the conditionings of kind of have befallen them. So I think that it's going to happen in increments. I think that the change is happening. I think that a lot of us are feeling that a lot of us are, you know, 
it makes a lot of people scared as well. I think a lot of people fear the unknown of what's going to come. And I think those that when we, you know, we encountered, they're still in their slumber, they're still asleep and they haven't awakened yet. And it's our job to kind of get that messaging out there to allow them to awaken. Wow. What is, um, what's Roxanne's guilty pleasure? <laughs> I like video games. <laughs> Generally, the most common answer is wine, chocolate, video games, anything. That's... Like yeah, I don't do wine and I don't do chocolate. Um, I like playing video games with my husband when we we just have like a date night. We'll play a little bit of video games, and I, what, I love. It. What's your go-to in the video game world? Right now, we're doing Fortnite. <laughs> so yeah, I love it. So, gotta enjoy it. <laughs> I love it because when you ask that question, you get the most, the most authentic beam and smile. It's like this thing of going, God, don't, you know, it's like catching me out, you know? Oh. Yeah. I love it. I love it. What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> Probably cheese. I like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of cheese, too much cheese. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all, it's generally, it's the things that we kind of go on. I know it's not good for me, but <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. going to do it anyway. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, it's, it's happening. I don't care what anyone says, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, leisure and pleasure for you. I mean, you know, what do you do to sort of switch off, get out, you know, where do you feel most connected? Yeah. For me in nature, I am very attached to the animal kingdom. I love animals. I feel very wild animals. I love domestic animals as well, but I have a very strong connection to wild animals. I think that comes from my indigenous descent and just having that animal kingdom connection. I love being in nature. I love feeling all the elements. I love being and feeling the energy of the trees, the earth, the water, even fire, like just having fires outside, like anything of that really restores my energy and just really allows me to be at peace and smudging. And I think that those are really crucial and, you know, really significant pieces that really help me kind of restore and regenerate my energy. And for me, like exercise, like I believe in sustaining all aspects of our being. So I believe in working out. I believe in yoga. I believe in anything that is to do with our wellness in all regards and all respect. And um, I mean, you're saying there with like a wild animal, is there, is there any in particular that you find, you know, resonate with? Yes. <laughs> An otter. <laughs> That's my favorite. Is that coming? <laughs> <laughs> I resonate with wolves. Um, wolves are very, very dominant in my kind of guiding force, but um, more so otters. Otters are definitely one of my spirit animals and not my power animal, but my spirit animal. Very fun, very like playful, very family oriented. Otters are very beautiful creatures. Very, very, very beautiful creatures. I must send you. There's a local series. I, I don't think it was on the, the BBC, but they did voiceover of animals, and one of them was an otter singing Coco Cabana. Yeah, <laughs> see Coco Cabana. <laughs> I must send it to you because it makes me laugh every time. That and the big stock doing daytime, nighttime. It's like daytime, yeah. nighttime. And unicorns. <icorns. <laughs> unicorns are my absolute favorite before otters. <laughs> They're okay. magic 
Pegasus. <laughs> my girls love unicorns. It's unicorn everything. Unicorn underwear, unicorn, you know. Yeah, I'm unicorn everything. It's magical. And you think about Lady and the Unicorn, you know, hundreds of years ago, and it's an incredible story of feminine energy, right? So unicorns are incredible creatures. It's interesting you bring that up again, because, I mean, uh, you know, the question I had is some, some people talk about, you know, the conscious part of us being the masculine part and the subconscious being the feminine part. I mean, do you, do you subscribe to that, that, that sort of delineation? No, <laughs> I think that our feminine energy can be the conscious aspect of who we are and just as our masculine energy. And I believe both can go into our subconscious as well. And I think that our masculine energy, the way that I preface it is really that a masculine energy is like a cup. It's like the structure. It's like the confidence, it's the security. It's, you know, the routine is just having that, you know, structure to our life. And I think of feminine energy as being our as being the water, being fluid, being free, being liberated, being adventurous. However, one can't serve the other without the other, right? So we can't have a cup without water and be able to absorb the energy. And we can't have water without a cup and being able to absorb the energy. So I think it's important that we are always flowing within our masculine and our feminine energy and allowing our freedom, allowing flow to come into our life, spontaneity to come to our life, but and then also having structure because as human beings, we need structure and structure is very healthy for us. How structure looks, that's totally up to an individual. However, structure is important for that security element of being a human being. I'm going to go again in terms of there was a, an aspect of something I've sort of been evolving, you know, and saying, well, the ego part of us is the, is the, egoic knowing let's say the different not the, the sort of the sensing knowing but the ego part of us is the one that knows the conscious part of us is the one that thinks the subconscious part of us are the ones that feel and then the the soul version of us is the one that senses does that resonate or how is it set? i mean that's i think that's a pretty good you know, definition of all of them. I think that a lot of us are calibrated and function at our ego state opposed to our conscious and our subconscious state. So I think that that's, I mean, I think that's pretty telling. I think that's a pretty good way to explain it. Hmm. No, it's, it's, it's always interesting because so many people come at you and saying, I know, or I think, and you're like, oh, Okay. No, you don't. And as human beings, we think we know everything and we want to know everything, but yeah, we don't. And my kids tell me that all the time. They're like, oh, I know. I know. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, what's uh five million plus six hundred and seventy-five? <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm like, there, yeah, you don't know. <laughs> I'm like, we don't know everything, and it's okay, you know, like you don't need to know everything. That's the point of your journey. If you knew everything, you wouldn't be here anymore, right? So But that, that's right. where a lot of people do struggle with it, right? Because they're sort of saying it's it's in some ways, it's so intangible. It's, it's the intangibility of it. I don't know. I may have made may have just made up a new word, but the intangibility of it is that people can't sort of say, "Well, you know, there you go. It's five million six hundred and fifty-four or whatever." You know, <laughs> it's it's defined, right? You just go, "It's everywhere." It's like, no, no, no. But where? No, it's just everywhere. Just accept it. You're like, but I can't. I need to. I need a number, right? <laughs> I think that you know our knowledge is our wisdom. And I think that our wisdom is our armor. So I think that it's important that we're always attaining knowledge and we're always attaining wisdom. However, I do not think, and I do not feel that anybody, not any one person on this planet knows absolutely everything there is to know about the world and about the history of the world. I don't believe that in any essence. And I don't care how many lifetimes we live because 
you know, we kind of go through a memory erase when we leave this world and then we come back. So I don't believe that anybody knows and has all the knowledge that is able to provide us. I think that there's experts. I think that people specialize in different assets of knowledge, which is incredible, but I don't think one person just knows all. Hmm. Yeah. So powerful. So powerful. Well, tell me, I mean, if you were to try and then summarize your fire in your belly in like one or two words, Roxanne, what, what would they be? My fire in my belly really is to just exude love and light throughout the world and just to allow others to have a different perspective and to allow them to know that it's okay to follow your instinct and to follow your guiding voice, follow your intuition, you know, stop allowing the logical sense to kind of interfere with who you actually are meant to be on this earth. Well, thank you. So tell us where can people reach out? Where can they find you, follow you, listen to you, stalk you, any of the above? <laughs> you can stalk me. I like that better. No, I'm kidding. No, you can find me on my website at www.roxannechaput.com and all of my social media handles are under that name as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today? My final message is really to know that you have an amazingness and incredibleness that lies within you. And now it's time to release them and allow them to shine throughout the world. Wow. Beautiful. Roxanne, it's been awesome chatting and I, I, I suspect we could talk for quite some time, you know, so <laughs> listen, I, I thank you for sharing. I thank you for, for being here today and being present. And uh, yeah, listen, I, I look forward to the opportunity maybe chatting again. So until the next time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.